Hey everybody, we have an insanely awesome crypto roundtable. You're not going to believe it. Back with us again, Sunny Madra and Vinny Lingham. So many stories on the docket. Let them know what's coming up, Molly. It is outstanding. We're going to start with, I mean, it feels like an hour and 45 minutes ago, which it was the Doquan arrest warrant in South Korea, the state of crypto scams and what it's going to mean for the future as uh, the bad guys wash out. And we talk about the Orange Dow. This is a, a distributed autonomous organization. Basically, it's a venture fund uh, combined with a group of 1300 YC alumni trying to figure out how to front run the market. Really good idea. But mm -hmm. devil's in the details. So we kind of break it down and try to figure out what it is. And everybody, welcome to my nightmare, uh -oh. which is Bitcoin energy usage. The merge mm -hmm. is happening. The ETH merge going to drop electricity usage in ETH mining by 99%. So we're going to go through some of the energy consumption stats in the crypto world and have a bit of a spicy convo. And we're going to kick off today's show with the final version of the blueprint where I go through the seven stages of wealth creation. This is going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Visa. Are you a small business owner? Did you know that Visa's online small business hub has tools, discounts, and resources to help you run your business? Learn more at visa.com slash small business hub. Brave is an internet privacy company on a mission to protect your personal info online. Download Brave today at brave.com slash twist to browse faster, search privately, and so much more. All in a single click. And open phone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. Open Phone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.com twist to get 20% off your first six months. Okay, everybody, it's episode 10 of, of The Blueprint. What an amazing series this has turned out to be. We just did it as a little idea because... Well, people ask me for career advice all the time, and it gets a little repetitive. And being able to do this series means I can send people to thisweekinstartups.com slash the blueprint and let them get uh, a little bit of career advice. Again, it's not just from my career. Some of it is. Uh, it's also from investing in startups and watching other folks uh, on their career journeys and being friends with folks who I've seen become very successful. I want to just have a discussion about money and wealth. Very uncomfortable topic. And people want to get rich. People want to have financial security. That's amazing. There's a bunch of studies out there. A lot of them say in the modern world, in the Western world, uh, if you make over $70,000, $80,000 a year, the pressure for money goes way down. You don't have this existential crisis. Oh, my God, I'm going to run out of money. Now, if you live in San Francisco, that's going to seem like a joke. If you live in Nashville, it's going to ring true, right? There's different places in the world with different costs of living. I recognize that. I think I read a crazy statistic that New York apartments were up to $4,000 or $5,000 a month each. So obviously, that, that this uh, general rule of the $70,000, $80,000 a year salary does not apply. But there is a baseline, depending on where you live, where you feel comfortable, and the stress goes down. Now, if you're an ambitious person, the stress never goes away. It's never going to be enough. You're never going to be content. This series is not meant to be your therapy. I don't know what trauma you got. I don't know what drives you. I'm just trying to give you some facts in terms of how to become successful in your career. There is a little hierarchy of how money is made in the world. 
And I've really given this thought over time, because uh, I'm actually writing a book about money. Uh, that'll be my second book coming out in 2023. Hopefully, if I get it done. And one of the things people want to know is how does money come into my bank account? And I, I, you just have to think through first principles about this. How does money get into your bank account? That's a question everybody wants to know. Well, there's a pretty obvious one, you can get a salary. That is kind of like the first level of making money, you could make an hourly salary, you could drive Uber, you could work at Starbucks, you could get a job out of school, whatever it is, a salary, you do work, you get paid. Okay, great, pretty straightforward. And you can optimize for your salary. But there's kind of some limits here, right? There's caps, people are only going to spend a certain amount on a person's salary. If we were talking about a sales executive, you know, some incredible sales executive in SaaS has an amazing book of business, they work at Salesforce or NetSuite or wherever. They have this incredible $150,000 base salary, they're making 150,000 in commissions, it's incredible. $300,000 or you the VP of engineering and you're at a startup that's raised its series B and you're getting paid $200,000, $250,000. Congratulations, you're starting to hit that upper bound of salaries, you can even see the upper bound of salaries, you look at public companies and see what they compensate the top five or six people. Uh, and you'll see a salary line. But then there's the commission line, which comes next, or bonus commission bonus, you know, uh, similar, but different, a bonus kind of goes with salary, you consider your salary plus bonus a lot of places if they're doing well, if they're profitable, we'll give two weeks of salary as a bonus at the end of the year, two weeks of salary out of 50, you double it to get the percentage. It's you can count on two, four, five percent of your salary. So you make 100 grand, you get a 5k bonus, it's nice, takes the edge off Christmas, maybe you get to go on a little vacation. The second way is commission. So you got your salary, now comes commissions, talking about that sales executive before. What that means is somebody says, Okay, you sell a million dollars, we'll give you 5% of that you make 50k. And of course, if you want to work twice as hard, and uh, or you're two times more efficient than the average salesperson, you can get to 2 million uh, in sales and make 100,000 in commissions. So that's nice when you get a commission for something, right? It, it uncaps your ability to make money in one way. But if you're a good founder, or you're a good manager, you're going to reset the commission structure every year, you gonna say, Hey, last year, you did 2 million in sales this year, your targets 3 million. Last year, we paid you 5% on the 2 million made 100k. This year, we're going to go for three, we're going to give you 4% on the first million 5% on the next million and 7% on the third million, right? They they kind of create an incentive structure for you. So the commissions will be looked at. And if somebody starts making too much in commissions, the, the boss or the owner of the business or whoever's in charge, if it's a big company might say, you know what, this person's crushing it too much, we're going to get rid of them, we're going to cut them. And we're going to have three, you know, young guns come in and reset the salary structure. And you you see that on a TV show like um, this new one industry, where somebody's got this book of business, They've been printing money for the company for too long. And they're just like, yeah, these young people can do it for less money. So again, salary and commissions, you can make money, but there's going to be some ceilings and people might tweak it. Because if you demand too much salary, somebody might just say, listen, I can hire two people for that cost. I can hire three people for that cost. See, you, you can't push people too hard, uh, or else they will replace you, which you would expect them to. Uh, so and we talked about that earlier in this series, the blueprint in terms of just testing your market. Uh, and the way to test the market is to just look at consulting revenue, which is the third uh, level here of seven that I've identified in terms of making money. If you have other ones that I'm missing here, Jason at calicanus.com. Love to hear your feedback if they don't fit into one of these seven buckets. Consulting revenue is just say, Hey, uh, pay me 100 bucks an hour. 
and I will uh, do UX design for you. And then you sell out your time, you sell out your 2000 hours, you want to work a year at $100 a seat, you make $200,000. You were working in a 75k position, 100k position, 125k position, you went consulting. Yeah, there's more expenses, you have to do your own taxes, you have to withhold, you have to pay for your benefits, you have to find customers, there's all this other nonsense and stress that comes with it. That would be abstracted from working in an organization. Uh, but you could uncap your where you could do the next sort of level up and uncapping your pricing. So if you become somebody who's known is a genius in UX, and you did this incredible UX design for Robinhood, maybe somebody will pay you 500 bucks an hour, and they'll hire you for 100 hours, and you have a $50,000 job that you can do in three weeks. And you're like, wow, this is incredible, but you earned it, right? You, you made Robinhood and Calm. You've done two of the great apps of all time in terms of UX design. I happen to be investors in both of those. I don't know. Top of mind came to me. Um, so that's where consulting revenue can start to also, you can see what the market will bear. If you charge too much, you say, I want 5,000 an hour. Well, you better be making, you know, Steve Jobs' logo for next, right? I think he famously spent 50 or 100,000 on that logo. It was worth it. And that was a long time ago. It'd be equivalent to spending 500,000 now, probably, or 250. But he felt it was worth it. He's Steve Jobs. He's got the money. Why not? Okay, fourth on the list, stock options. We all know what these are. You work at a startup, you get some options, you got lottery tickets. They were priced in some 409A at 10 cents each. Company went to a dollar while you were there. Then uh, they got their Series B, they went to $5. All of a sudden, they went public at $20. You are sitting on 10 cent options. The stock's trading at $20.10, let's say, for ease of math. You made a $20 profit for each share you got, and they gave you I don't know, 10,000 shares, right? So you made 200 grand, fantastic stock options. And also in commissions in stock options, you would put carry at a venture firm, you could debate that, but they're kind of different than commissions, because those are capped at a certain percentage, stock options and carry would be number four. So if you can, if you're lucky enough, my lord to get carry in a venture firm, or to get stock options, and they work out there's like the most accessible lottery ticket uncapped. This is now when you're starting to get into an uncapped place, right? The thing becomes Uber, Apple, Tesla, whatever it is, my lord, that's when true wealth can come into your bank account. Salary and commissions, you can get wealthy. Consulting revenue, yeah, you can get wealthy. Stock options and carry, okay, now we're talking about uncapped. So one, two, three, kind of capped. Four, now we're uncapped. We're in the uncapped category of wealth creation. Number five, creating IP and getting royalties for it. Okay, what does this mean? Okay, you wrote a book, you're Stephen King, you created this incredible series of characters. Uh, and you made the book Cujo or Carrie or whatever it happens to be it and somebody wants to license it, they want to option it. Okay, you wrote the book. Some publisher has the rights to the book for 20 years. Somebody else wants the paperback, they get the rights to that somebody wants to make it into a comic book, you sell the rights to that. Okay, now somebody wants to make a TV show, you sell it, somebody wants to make a movie, you sell it. And that's why there are people who collect IP and want to own 100% of it like Disney did shout out Bob Iger, Marvel, Pixar, Star Wars, they own all of it. They don't have to pay a licensing fee. But previous to that, when Marvel was independent, or George Lucas was independent, ching, 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 ching. Every time somebody wants to use a Marvel character, they cash at the register, boom, give us some money. Every time you want to do something for Star Wars, you want to do a Christmas special, you want to do a new action figure, you want to do something at McDonald's, yes, I will take a royalty, I will sell you license you my IP. And 
what do you need to create that and have that uncapped upside where you can keep monetizing your IP? Well, you need to be creative as heck. You need to be a virtuoso. You need to be so good at what you do that you can get that money in uh, and that people want your IP so much. It's a very rare, it's very rarefied air of the, you know, million people who are going to hear this video. I would say maybe 5% of you are, are going to be able to do this. You're that talented enough. That's not a dig to anybody else. It's just that IP is a bit of a race, right? And so if you're watching Star Wars, you can't be watching Star Trek. And if you're watching Star Trek and Star Wars, you can't be watching Game of Thrones. There's a certain limited number of hours in consumption. And, and that's why, you know, the 100,000th horror novel makes no money. The 10,000th makes maybe a little bit of trickle. And the top 1,000 make 90% of the revenue. And the top 10 or top 5 may make you know, 50% of the revenue, this is a power law type situation, just like venture capital. So if you're Michael Crichton, and you created Jurassic Park, my lord, that IP giveth forever, which is why Universal wanted it so badly. And I think they own it. Are you a small business owner? Did you know that Visa's online small business hub has tools, discounts and resources to help you run your business? So whether you're a business beginner or an entrepreneurial expert, find the solutions, tools and tips you need to help take your business to the next level. Plus, if you have a Visa business credit card or debit card, you can get access to cardholder benefits like Visa Savings Edge, a savings program which can help you save on everyday business expenses like office essentials, travel and more. When you enroll your Visa business card in Visa Savings Edge, you'll have access to valuable offers, which can help turn qualifying business purchases made with your enrolled Visa business card into savings for your business. Learn more at visa.com slash small business hub. Once again, that's visa.com slash small business hub. Visa, a network working for everyone. Okay, now we get to number six. This is, a again, a very niche thing, but it also has relatively uncapped upside. If you're a deal maker, and you can buy a company like a private equity person can, or uh, a banker, uh, or somebody who's a deal maker like Michael Ovitz at CAA, shout out talking about Jurassic Park, he was able to broker deals. And when he brokered those deals, he was able to capture some commission, he was able to capture some IP, some licensing for all time to come. So those deal makers, they don't exist in the world that often. But when they do, they can get paid forever. In fact, I think CAA wound up having some kickers and I read this in one of the books for Jurassic Park itself, another example of IP created by Michael Crichton, um, exploited by Spielberg in the form of the movie, and then exploited in the theme parks and sequels series, my kids watch an animated series. Now there's Legos, you get the idea. Well, somebody brokered that deal. And that was Michael Ovitz. He got Spielberg, he got Michael Crichton, he got Universal, he got them all together. And those people can as orchestrating those deals one plus one uh, equals three, and they get a major fee. Finally, at the pinnacle of wealth creation is the founder. Founder says this deserves to exist in the world, I am going to start this week in startups all in podcast, uh, inside.com calm.com Uber, I want to manifest a new thing in the world. 99 times out of 100, it does not work. But the one time when it does, if it does provide value, Oh, my Lord, the person who founded and created it, they get a special amount of credit and uncapped upside, i.e. Michael Crichton, 
George Lucas. We can do it in entertainment. We could do it with McDonald's. The, you can go watch the movie, The Founder, and you can see it's a great performance by Michael Keaton, by the way, and a great song, uh, Boom Like That by Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits fame, uh, one of his great solo um, tracks, Boom Like That. And if you watch The Founder, you'll see there were founders of McDonald's, but this other brokered guy came in, uh, Ray Kroc. He said, I'll license the brand from you. Give me the McDonald's name. And then he went out and licensed it. He owned it. They kept the two original stores. He paid them a small royalty. Then he bought them out and owned all of it. And like Disney now owning Marvel and owning all the characters, I think they've they've swept them all up except for Spider-Man. They get to exploit them for all time. Ray Kroc did that. He was the broker dealer in number six who came in and then did became the founder. In fact, his autobiography is the founder. That's how it works, folks. Um, now, if you want to jump the line, you could just start a company. Uh, that works for some people. What I suggest is you look at this list of seven, the big seven, and you start working your way down the numbers. Yeah, you get a salary. That's nothing wrong with that. That's how I started. Uh, get some commissions. I, I had some commission revenue uh, in my in my life. I was never a sales executive, but we, we had some commission structures for landing new clients at some companies I was in. Um, I was a consultant. I, I did do consulting with people and I got paid hourly. And then um, I never had stock options because I started creating stuff. And so I very quickly, you know, got to creating IP and magazines and stuff like that. Um, I never brokered deals, uh, although venture capitals could be considered in that area of brokering deals, deal maker, some way capital allocator, uh, and getting a commission, a carry for that. So you can when I say number six is brokering deals and commissions, venture capital falls into that. And of course, founders. Um, those last three, five, six, and seven are where generational wealth is created. The first three, that's not going to be generational wealth. That's going to be a great lifestyle for you, a great wealth for you. You know, when you start making over 100,000 a year, you start getting to 150,000 a year as a young person in today's dollars, 2022 is when this was recorded. You're going to be in good shape. You're going to be in really good shape. You put 10K away a year, invest. Amazing if you can get to that level. It's really hard to get there. Most of your contemporaries, unless you're some rich kid listening to this from a trust fund, a lot of your contemporaries are never even going to get to that level where, you know, they get through that one through four, even they're making money, they get a great salary, maybe they can get great consulting revenue, and they get some com you know, some stock options, very rare to even get to that fourth level, if you can get to the fourth level of this stack, uh, then you're starting to create generational wealth, you may leave something for your kids, stock options and carry, that's when it starts to kick in. And uh, it's really great if you can do that without having to take the risk of being number seven, the founder, because now you're putting it all on the line. And you're going to suffer and you have pain and stress, not everybody's built for it. So four is like a really great sweet spot. Um, and then after that, when you're in that sweet spot, and you get a hit, it can make you dangerous, you put a little cash in your account, and then you can do anything. So I hope this is helpful for you. This is the wealth creation stack one through seven. Uh, and this is the final episode of the blueprint go to this week in startups.com slash the blueprint. Uh, to watch all 10 episodes. And uh, I'm going to do it again next year. I think I'll do it in Q2 or Q3 of next year. And if you have any ideas for topics you'd like me to cover about your career, about being a better executive, would love to hear it. Jason at calacanis.com, CC producers at thisweekinstartups.com so we can put it on the list of uh, topics you want to hear me cover. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. It is Wednesday, Molly. We have made it right. to the halfway mark. Second what Wednesday has, of the month. It is the second Wednesday of the month. It is oh, so we're almost to the halfway mark of the halfway mark. Um, yeah, what great. happened? I'm sorry, but what happened? How did September? I literally just like was looking through email and I saw one from August 31st that I had not responded to, and I was like, whoa, 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 what it has? How, how, how did this? 
What's today's date? Two weeks have occurred already, September 14th. We're halfway through September, and I feel like I'm supposed to be in Italy right now, and it's August. I don't know what happened. My, my yeah. summer is gone. I'm going to be skiing in about three weeks, mums. I think. I don't have my mums. Wait, what are I don't mums? my fall decor. What's mums? It's, I discovered this on the East Coast. It's totally a thing where everybody puts out a pot of mums. They're these cute flowers. And like you put two, one on each side of your door. It's like the oh. it's like the Connecticut decor of fall. And I'm like, I'm in on this. I'm doing this. I just I'm with this. Is, this is the it important feels like startup news of the day today. It's fall mums season. But also, yeah, now I know why Howard Stern, uh, you know, went to like this crazy deal with with Sirius where he just takes the summer off. Like doing a daily show is exhausting. It's I mean, exhausting. it's fun. You get into a rhythm and I look forward to it every day, mm -hmm. but it does make time go by at a brisk pace. I really had vowed like six years ago <laughs> to never do a daily show again. <laughs> six are. years ago, I was like, I'm what never doing done? a daily show again. And then the next thing I know, I'm at Marketplace doing two, two shows a day. You you were on the two for right. I forgot the two for, that. And then I'm like, I'm going <sighs> to become easy. a VC. And well, do a, cut down and half do a your podcast pod. six days a week. <laughs> I, I told you, I have really good advice for you. Like, if you're if you're trying to figure out how to get more time in your schedule, it's very simple. You just add ten hours. That's exactly. <laughs> you just decide just, to work ten hours more a week. I'm and cute, but good. I'm dumb as a box of rocks. I'll tell you what. No, oh it's great. God, great. It's so much work. It's so much. Work. I'll tell you the good thing. I tweeted today. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. I tweeted today, um, and I was talking to our president, Mike. You know, this whole thing where when you're trying to get into a deal last year. Yeah. And the deal's closing and you don't have time for diligence. That's all reset. And you can get to meet a company, meet the founders, ask them some questions, do some diligence, have a second meeting, maybe a third, answer their questions, you know, and kind of, I don't want to say take your time on a funding, but have a reasonable, let's call it 15 to 30 days to make a thoughtful decision about going into business with somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really good for both sides. So I, just for people who are angel investors who are listening, if you're a member of the syndicate.com, of course, the syndicate.com slash climate. It's a great moment to just, I think, be an angel investor. It feels like the old days where high quality companies, high signal, great founders, and, and you have a little bit of time to be thoughtful about consummating, you know, what becomes a 10 year partnership in, in many yeah. cases. That's fair. That's nice. It's nice to know you can walk instead of sprint although it's not my style it's a little slow I for mean, me it's starting to feel like magazine timing around here and not daily news timing <laughs> i'm just kidding of totally course, not you no, can no, of no. course try to close a deal quickly but yeah. you know no it's never i don't think it's worth it it's nice to be able to be like thoughtful take a minute user privacy is one of the biggest topics in tech right now and if you care about your privacy you need to check out brave b-r-a-v-e Brave is going to shield you from trackers and ads and cookies and all the creepy stuff that track you across the web. And they have three core products you need to know about. The one, the fastest browser you've ever used. Their core browser, the Brave browser. And they have an amazing search engine. It's not going to track you and do anything creepy like those other search engines. And they have a browser-native crypto wallet. Brave's browser has over 60 million users, including me, Jason Galaganis, on my mobile phone, on my Windows, and on my Mac desktop. I love my Brave browser. It's all built on Chromium. You know, that's the open source Chrome project. It's amazing. All your favorite Chrome extensions work easy breezy, lemon squeezy. I got all my Grammarly and all my other extensions to just work, boom, like that. And they don't bog you down with all those slow ads crashing your computer. 
You can import your bookmarks. You can import your passwords and all your settings from Chrome or any other browser with one click. I did this on all my machines. Brave Search is a truly private and independent search engine. The Brave browser, second to none. So download Brave today at brave.com slash twist, brave.com slash twist to browse faster, search privately, and so much more all in a single click. Please use our URL so they know we sent you brave.com slash twist. All right. Well, speaking of thoughtful, we have yes. two of the most thoughtful people in uh, the crypto space. And every other Wednesday, 26 times a year, these two gentlemen, two of my close friends, two besties, and, and of course, now becoming besties with Molly herself, um, they're coming in to educate us on crypto. We are crypto skeptics, I believe, but crypto curious. Am I describing our I think, position? Yes, I think that's 100% accurate. Crypto curious. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so cautiously open minded, cautiously open minded. And so with us again, uh, Sandeep Madra, you can call him Sunny. He's our he's the co founder of definitive intelligence. I'm an investor in that company. And that company lets users view on and off chain data to understand what the web three user base what the community is actually doing welcome back to the program good to be back good to be back sunny also with us go ahead molly you can introduce the other guy <laughs> <laughs> share the load i'm not i'm looking at them not the dogs also with us vinnie lingham co-founder of civic a startup that encrypts identity information on the blockchain uh and your new startup remind us of the name again you've got it's a new room. startup yeah, wait room uh, wait room yeah that's, that's it for setting Wait room one-on-one yeah. -on -one video conferencing <laughs> like drop in for, yeah. for people who are operating on previous time where it's like everything's got to happen like yeah. this drop-in meetings we're focusing on on stand-ups uh stand-up meetings and office hours so you can just get a you know in a virtual space get people to line up to ask you a question or chat for five minutes and you, you, we've already lost the whole um, water cooler culture, knocking on someone's door in the office culture at work and no offices anymore. And we're trying to create the uh, virtual mm. version of that. So, which we Is like. it designed for enterprise? Is it designed for consumers? Or you're kind of trying to split the difference there? Yeah, we, we actually launched it a few months ago. We tried the influencer market. And we, you know, from a business perspective, it's, I mean, we had lots of people using it, thousands of people using it. But the problem is that influencers don't always want to go on a regular basis. So it, it's very lumpy in terms of like usage for influencers. Mm -hmm. And but the more we speak to companies, the more we're just seeing everyone's having Zoom fatigue. People want to have, uh, you know, use this product on a daily basis. We use it for standups every day. We get our standups in the company done in less than 30 minutes. Everyone gets like two minutes to give a quick update. Very, very, very efficient. And so we're basically repurposing it for, for SMB, enterprise, teams, et cetera. Waitroom.com, W-A-I-T, room.com. Yeah. Nice. Oh, what a premium, a premium URL. URL. The, Thanks. The chat, by the way, is, of course, also noticing you have a wait. It appears you have a wait room behind you. Lots of puns. <laughs> Lots of oh, puns happening in the chat today. Is that a tonal behind you? Is that That's a tonal? A tonal. Oh, That's great. A tonal. Look yeah. at that. Awesome. It's like a flex it. and a flex. I don't know if they have a total competition. Do they have a total competition mode where we could, you know, like go? I would know. totally do that with you, Jay. Come yeah. on, let's do it. It'd be fun if we oh, oh just God. also Vinny, uh, you know, it's interesting, Vinny. Um, Sonny and I did like a competition one time where we just held each other accountable. We would um, yeah. do a workout every day and we'd send each other our workouts or we were doing a step, doing steps, it my, bet. Yeah. steps bet. Yeah. We did mm -hmm. a steps bet as well. All that was like really increased our performance. I, I love yeah, that kind of awesome. thing. I think we got to start with the breaking news that uh about terra luna I, I we have a mm. solid agenda here but i was wondering if we would see a perp walk at some point if we would see somebody actually arrested 
due to a crypto, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a little, uh, I got a little bit of a sore throat today. If we'd actually see this, maybe Molly, you could queue up what breaking news has happened just at this very moment. Yeah, so uh, it has been breaking, I think, just this morning, maybe last night, that a South Korean court has issued a warrant for Do Kwon's arrest. That, of course, uh, is related to the Terra Luna collapse. Do Kwon and five others, as far as we know, are currently located in Singapore. The allegations include violations of South Korea's capital markets law. Um, Do Kwon has been contacted for comment, but didn't reply. The Terra collapse, of course, in May was the kind of linchpin, right, that started the current, you could say, crypto winter that we're in. Thoughts on thoughts on this? And like, is this is this going to be the closing of this particular chapter and then we can move forward, do you think? And by the or way, is Do Kwan is tweeting. Many? Breaking news, Do Kwan. Do Kwan is tweeting right now? I, this is kind of weird um, when you're on the lam to be tweeting, but I guess this is the world we live in. <laughs> so additional breaking news. What did he, what did he say? He just tweeted well, like Well, that's on your sun? screen. Is it the sun oh. or is that the moon? Is that the moon? It's a Luna. Luna. It's a yeah. Luna? What is that? Yeah. I it's think it's okay. the moon. It's like and then somebody replied to him, I like Do Kwan, LOL. And then he sent an emoji kissy face back. Um, so Okay, so he's doing oh, fine. Guess he's Seems very stable. It. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying um, I don't think he's the worst offender in crypto. <laughs> well, low benchmark, you know, to be mm -hmm. sure. You know, I, I think good that um, it's probably he, I, he probably had good intentions and bad governance, uh, which is what, what often happens when these things collapse. Look, I, I say that prefacing that if they find any, un, you know, like unsavory conduct, then I take that all back. But my understanding is that he basically did what the bankers did in 2008, where you, you, uh, you, know, you, you privatize profits and you socialize losses. And none of the bankers in 2008 went to jail for that. So he probably did something of that. Now, if you tell me that, hey, the guy was dumping Luna the day before and crashing the system and he's got a hidden bank account in Switzerland, I take it back. But from what I can see right now, all he did was replicate what the banking system, you know, kind of did in 2008. Interesting. Yeah, I, I would kind of say, you know, Molly, to your point, like, what does this mean? I think hopefully we can get some clarity building on what Vinny said is what happened. And, you know, we really, I think everyone needs to know and then from there, we can kind of move forward. So I actually think this is a, it's a good thing if he actually you know, comes to it and we all learn what happened and then we can kind of build the safeguards around it so we can move forward together. I think without it, if it remains in like kind of a shroud of mystery, it's, it's a little bit problematic for everyone. And then the mm -hmm. trust factor is way low. Yeah. But I think, Vinny, you make a really good point too. And it sounds like some of this comes down to maybe the difference between laws in South Korea related to capital markets and laws in the US, which are still pretty minimal. I think it's not even a legal thing, right? So I think on a, on a global basis, we have this, we have a high variance between, uh, you know, governance and ethics and morality across the spectrum, right? Where, where I come from in South Africa, uh, I think that the governance levels are a lot, you know, the bar is a lot higher or used to be when I grew up a lot higher in terms of, you know, ethics, morality, et cetera. When you move outside South Africa to other countries in Africa, it just slides downhill. Even in the U.S. and other parts of the world, it's like, well, you know, people take a lot more risks that they shouldn't take. So Africa's biggest problem actually has been it's been a very conservative country from, you know, apartheid and a whole bunch of other things in the, you know, between 50s and 2000. Um, and so my, my point is when it comes to corporate governance, it's something which we just don't like. I've seen the craziest stuff happen all around the world where, you know, founders go and throw massive parties and pay themselves whatever they want and this and that. And in the crypto world, that's just amplified. And so in certain countries, the behavior may be legal, you know, maybe, you know, 
unethical. It may, it may put shareholders out, whatever, but it may not be illegal. And so I don't know what the what the climate in in South Korea and what the laws are there, but I can say there's a very broad spectrum in terms of what's acceptable and what's not when you go country by country and governance structure by governance structure and, and culture by culture. Yeah, this is a really interesting one because my understanding of the Korean market was they have, uh, they vacillated between being super um, conservative when it came to crypto, then the people of Korea embraced it in such a major way that the politicians became permissive. And then of course, we get a collapse like this, and people are upset. So now they're vacillating back to, uh, you know, maybe enforcing rules. So do, do either of you know the crypto market in Korea? Because I remember when these crypto projects were launching, one of the playbooks was to sell to retail in Korea. Is that actually accurate? Because I, I did have companies that were pitching me say, Korea was like in their top list of places to, you know, do an ICO to do a coin offering to, to launch a product. I mean, I put I don't I don't you may have a take on this. I don't personally know what the what the um, what the market is. I do I do agree that and I have heard you say otherwise that it is very consumer focused. And that is the problem, by the way. I mean, for those of you who think that I'm a crypto, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a skeptic, I, you know, in, in the same way that Jason and Molly are. But I do think 98% of these things are scams. Mm. <laughs> 95%. There is some very no, high percentage number. I think that's number. the same way. Yep. That's the same okay. way that we are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm the guy looking for the 5%, right? Out of 20,000 crypto projects, I want the, the top 50 or 100 to invest in that are going to last and survive uh, for the next five or 10 years. Majority of these things are rug pulls. They get, they get you to put money in. There's some guy promoting it, hyping it, selling it. Volume goes up. And then they just pull the rug on you. The, the, the team dumps. Then no one really believes in the projects. The other sad thing is actually there are also a lot of good projects where investors who have got long-term views get into it, and whether it's through third-party groups that are pumping and dumping the coin or whatever it is, they mess up those projects. So you have this extern this, these like externalities that come into play where um, people go, oh, this is a great project. Let's pump the coin. Let's sell it to retail, and then let's dump and get out. And it actually affects the project as well. So, And, and Sonny's got a lot of this data because of his company and what they do there. But I, you know, it, it's very, very sad the way crypto is right now. But if you ask me, should it be regulated? I don't know how you can regulate it when you have 180 countries who can't even agree on <laughs> how to fix the world's energy problems right now. Yeah, I think just Sorry, building on that, question. like financializing before product market fit is really risky, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you guys, you know, Jason and Molly, you see this in your in your investing business, right? So if you financialize these things before they've kind of achieved actual traction, it's danger. And that's what's been happening a lot in the crypto markets. Now, the flip side is all the data is available to everyone. So it's not as opaque as it is, say, in startups where you have to rely on the company to provide you that information. You can look at their on-chain behavior. You can see what's happening. You can see who the holders are. You can see what the transactions look like. And so you have to kind of merge those things together in this new world. So if what? they are sophisticated, right? You have to know how to look on the chain and have tools for that. There Are there a lot of tools for that? Yeah, there's a decent amount now. Yeah, yeah. There's you, but you know, but, you. The, but this, but this, but this is the problem. This is a problem. Yeah. Retail people that, that you, you're putting in. I mean, put 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 an example in. You're putting in 500 bucks into a project. Are you going to go and spend 20 hours researching it, or even 50, or like 10 hours? Like most of the time, it's like I'll put 500 bucks in. I'll put a thousand bucks in. You know, you don't have the time to do the research. You kind of rely on word of mouth. Yeah, you know, friends. Like I see some of the comments here, and people asking like, "What's the definition of a scam? How do you, you know, look?" 
It's very simple. When the intention of the project is not to build the technology, but to enrich the people behind it, that's kind of a scam in my mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the opposite would be, for example, I mean, I, I always use a good example, like Civic did a token sale in 2017. We're, you look at the on chain, we're still sitting with 330 million tokens. One third still there. We haven't sold any. We, we did the ICO. The, you know, we, the, we've built a whole bunch of stuff, created nonprofits, et cetera, around this. But we haven't, like, I haven't taken a profit out of it yet. I'm still waiting to solve the product market fit issues, solve the, the industry issues. What we find otherwise on other projects is people go and run these ICOs, they take the money, and if you go and follow some of these founders on Instagram and wherever else, what are they doing? Flying private jets, yachts, huge parties, paying for ecosystem funds and shit like that. It doesn't, I mean, you know, whatever. This is not going to end well, and it hasn't already. I mean, I, I didn't touch the whole Terra Luna thing either. I didn't put money into it for lots of reasons. Like I've got issues with stable coins and how they're done. This is a very complex ecosystem. And unfortunately, they're preying on retail, people who just don't understand it. And maybe it's like lottery tickets, right? You're putting 500 bucks in. Modern day, bo- modern day boiler rooms, right? We, yeah, we saw this yeah. in stock markets in the early days as well. Just regu- regulation has to come in and help with these things. On the program today is Darina Kulia. She is the founder of OpenPhone. Welcome to the show, Darina. Thank you so much, Jason. Great to be here. Now, what mistakes do most founders make with phone numbers in their startups? Really delegation, right? Because what ends up happening is that as a founder, when you're starting, you do everything. You are the salesperson, the support person, the... You make the coffee, you do HR, marketing, sales, recruiting, everything. Yeah. But then eventually you you have you have people joining the team. And what ends yep. up happening is if, if as a founder, your phone number, let's forget about the privacy, the spam, all that problem. Let's say it doesn't exist. But you're not going to want a year into your company, two years into your company to have all the support calls or oh. all the questions come to you because now you've just hired your support team. Why did you hire them? Yep. So that's another reason why having that separate number makes so much sense because you can always delegate those calls to your team as you grow. All right, everybody, here's your CTA, the old call to action. Twist listeners, 20% off any plan for your first six months. Just sign up at openphone.com twist. And if you got an existing number, no problem. They'll port it right over. Open phone dot com slash twist o-p-e-n-p-h-o-n-e dot com slash twist today for 20 percent off let's pull the thread on this data question and how you could maybe try to identify the five percent because sunny you're saying the data is available and you're saying it's really hard to dig through that data like should retail just stay out of this for a while until those signals become more clear like what are the what is the smoke that you should look for that says no this thing is a dumpster fire as opposed to this is part of the teeny, teeny percentage that is real or could grow into something really meaningful. So if we take a step back, Molly, right, think about penny stocks, right? Someone's commenting on this in, in the mm-hmm. chat, right? So in penny stocks, like what, there's some level of um, risk that it's very similar, but you have reporting requirements, right? So those companies have to basically, you know, do quarterly reporting, talk about, you know, a bunch of standard metrics. And so the same way that you would now, does everyone who invests in penny stocks do that? Probably not, right? They get a call from someone in a boiler room saying, hey, I heard about this stock. It's going to go through the moon. There's deals about to happen, all stuff mm-hmm. that really you know, shouldn't be happening. And so I think very similarly, there are a bunch of standard metrics. Like to ask your question, yeah, you can look at how many holders are there, uh, what, what the hold concentration looks like. And there's lots of tools. You can use you know, Definitive. There's you know, other tools out there as well, like Nansen and Dune that you can go to and, and, and get this information from. And so 
I think the beauty of Web3 more so than even like say those these public companies is that because the the asset itself is digital primarily, all the information is online. So all the stuff that you'd want to look for questions you want is like, what are your daily actives and how many people are transacting and how many holders are there? Is it all, you know, what Vinny talks about is one third of the tokens are held by the company. You can go and verify all that. And I think, you know, that now what will probably happen is there'll be institutions that'll start to develop that will do that for you and say, here's a bunch of safe things that you can invest in because we've vetted those things through the on-chain right. analytics. It'll literally, it'll be like our syndicate model. Like yeah. somebody will do, we'll do all the diligence and then we'll send it out to the syndicate and say like, we are confident that this yeah. is a good deal. And then, yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. Well, and that's I mean, a good point. If you, if you want to, sorry, Jason, if you want exposure to crypto and the, 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 the problem is this, okay. When the high net individuals have exposure to crypto through funds like, you know, Multicoin, I'm a partner there. And, but we, you know, we have minimums like 250K, 500K, whatever into the fund. So you can't just come in with a 25, 10K, 5K check. It doesn't work. So there's this unfortunate problem where the, the, the people who actually understand the space and have the skills can't really service retail. And retail investors have to just go and like pick a random coin on Coinbase or whatever exchange they're on and, and hope for the best. And, and that's half the problem. So what really is missing from the industry, I think, is a, a large scale fund where it's curated, but you can, you can have more than a hundred investors or more than a thousand investors, each putting in 5k, 10k, whatever exposure they want to crypto. And that fund is managed by people who are saying, we're going to pick the top you know, 50, 100, there'll be some allocation to some risk assets. Most of it sits in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Filecoin, whatever. Mm. And, and it's a balanced portfolio and don't take unnecessary risk with, with pump and dump coins along the way. That, that's what should happen. The problem then is you've got the regulatory issue, right? And we can go into, I think we're going to chat about the Orange DAO and how they've done that uh, as well later on. But there, there, there's some issues here. Um, but th that's ideally what we need is people not just buying lottery tickets. Right. And as you're saying, you know, you put out one of these projects, there are people who specialize in pumping and dumping. So even if the team had great intent, now there are people who say, okay, there's a new offering, we got in this thing for a penny, let's all get in on it. We run a whatever those telegram rooms, I guess, are where most yep. of these happen or in discord. And I've seen them, I've screenshotted them there. They're literally named like pump, pump, pump. <laughs> And they give people instructions. Hey, buy this coin at this hour. We're going to do it. Do not sell until this hour. And you know, that power yeah. hour is when the original people are obviously selling. It, it's happened to good projects. It's happened to lots of great projects and honest right. projects with honest yeah. guys. Like I've seen it. I've been part of teams where like nothing was sold by the team, but everyone else, you know, externally came in and pumped it. And that's because the regulations, you know, there's no real, it's not, it's not regulated, right? Anyone can do that. Unless people follow the rules that already exist, which they're not, they're kind of suspending disbelief that this is another rule set when the SEC is saying, well, as we talked about, I think maybe two episodes ago on the crypto roundtable, that, you know, hey, maybe follow the rules that already exist. There is a corollary to this. I mean, if you were to look at equity crowdfunding sites, uh, there are high quality ones like Republic uh, and Seed Invest. Um, I'm not an investor in either of those, but I know the founders of both. And uh, I've actually used both to raise money for inside.com because we wanted our newsletter readers to be able to invest in the company, small amounts of money. It's worked out wonderfully, delightfully. The problem is there's a whole cohort of another hundred of them that will put any company up. All they care about is the fees. So just be very careful. And then uh, many would argue SPACs had a similar issue. There were some SPACs that were absolutely real companies. Um, BuzzFeed went out to buy a SPAC. It's a real company with, you know, hundreds of millions in revenue. 
But there were ones that were incredibly speculative that didn't even have products in market. I, I guess the Truth Social, the one that Trump is doing, I believe it's called Truth, that hadn't even launched, right? It was just like, here's a, a pitch deck and we're using some open source stuff. So buyers do need to beware. What would kill specs is if you just lowered the listing requirements at the exchange and said, look, people can list these things the moment they're profitable, there's cash flow or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are the rules and you lowered it, you wouldn't need to do mm -hmm. a spec. This is where I am conflicted. And the devil is in the details. I think it would be amazing if you could uh, take companies public earlier and people could participate in them with some protections, right? It would be nice if people could invest in an Uber or a LinkedIn. I've talked about this many times, Molly, on the pod. You know, in the first five years of the company, I suppose, to year 10. Well, ch check out check out this. I mean, have you guys seen long-term stock exchange, Eric Reese's yes. company? Yes, I'm, yeah. I'm a seed investor in that. They've done amazingly Explain well. Explain what it is and years. what the mission is. Yeah, of long term. Yeah, basically, it's it's public listings. They've got like you know they, they try and get a higher standard, but more long term. So instead of focusing on quarterly earnings and quarterly growth numbers and basically being a a slave to the street, you you publish what the long term prospects of the company are and what you're trying to do, and and you get investors who want to back it for the long term to do it. And it's a regular you know it's a it's a it's a regular stock exchange, but they're not trying to go after. Uh, companies that are going to be run quarter by quarter because that's that's where things fall apart. And so I think they've, they've listed Twilio there recently, and they've crossed this at uh, Asana as well. Um, but it's a, it's a different type of stock, stock exchange, and they've got. I, th I think they would. I'm not sure this is in yet, but they were doing trying to do something around voting, where the longer you hold the shares for, the more votes you get. That sort of thing in, in the yeah. governance of the company, like that's very powerful, right? Like day traders shouldn't really have a say in voting uh, on company issues. If you, you know, it, it, like I think that there's there's something to be said for the longer you hold a share, the more voting power you have. So if I've held a share for ten years, I should have ten times more votes than a guy who buys it yesterday, right? Uh, at least 10 times, maybe more. Um, Which is something crypto actually with smart contracts would be uni uniquely yeah. qualified to do. So just to wrap this one piece up in terms of regulation, uh, in terms of the actors who are, you know, doing these projects and the ones who are around it, perhaps, you know, the next phase, you know, decade two of crypto, if we're, if we're calling this the second decade, maybe the principles of these projects taking ownership and building into them some thoughtfulness that creates downside protection. In other words, hey, anybody who buys this token, the token, uh, you know, will trade at these intervals. Uh, but if you're buying them, you know, in this pre-sale or whatever, you have to hold them for five years. And here's a list with all the rules. So if you did buy at a penny, and you were, you know, the, the famous example of Jason Horowitz, uh, as Jack would say, like, you know, meet the new boss, it's the old boss. That was the big criticism is that, you know, all these open, you know, supposedly open new projects in crypto were just owned by the venture capitalists again, and who front run the market. That's the allegation. And I don't know if it's true or not exactly. It's hard to know. But just having complete transparency on that. Um, do you think there's a possibility, Sonny, of that happening? And then given what you're doing in terms of tracking this, if people said, here's the cap table and the cap table rules, like here is a public cap table here is the disclosures of who owns these things and here are the rules by which they live wouldn't that change the whole industry yeah I mean, you know in fact like this is the direction it's going in you know balaji had a really good uh, post at the end of last year called mirror tables and that's what he was you know sort of leaning on in there and there's a few companies building in this space right now actually and i think uh the 
that infrastructure for around that starting to happen because people are asking the same question that you did is that, Hey, it's meant to be this really transparent thing, but then all this stuff happens sort of off chain. Why isn't everything on chain so that everybody can see it? And then we all have access to the same data, which is sort of the underlying ethos of crypto is that everyone has equal access. It's all available. And so exactly this, this is a really good post. Everyone should read it. Uh, and there's a few companies building in this space, which is really exciting. And I think as this comes, as the companies that are building this come together, and in fact, one of the companies inside the Orange Dow thing is doing this as well. So I do start to th think that there's going to be some convergence happening here along the lines of what you're talking about, Jaco. What's yeah, interesting too, um, and then I really want to ask you guys about the merge, or rather bait Vinny, but what's interesting is that <laughs> it, there's sort of two ways it seems that we could go forward, at least based on this conversation. And one of them is, it, one of them is centralization, right? Like when we talk about a centralized fund <laughs> to say, you know, the JCal of the of the investment side of this, like, yeah, we've done all the research, you can safely invest in these coins and these projects, like, that's great. That's, that's continuing to replicate the financial system that we already have and centralize and put gatekeepers in mm -hmm. between this opportunity that was in theory, meant to be the opposite of that. Or, Sunny, it seems like what you're proposing is use the tools of the technology to solve the problems that are inherent in the technology, because an unregulated ecosystem will always kill everything around it, right? It'll just grow yep. out of control and eat it alive. Yep. Um, but it seems to me that that if you are a crypto proponent, you should be looking to the tools built into Web3 to solve the issues we have now. Because like, look, no one's going to behave if the power lies in the room. Like there's yep. no universe in which everybody's going to be <laughs> yep. like, we all agree to follow the rules for the health of the <laughs> ecosystem. Like, nah, yeah. there's money to be made, son. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I and I think that that era, you know, as, as you know, Jay Cal called it a few minutes ago, like the era we're coming on is with these tools now. And so yeah. we'll see more of that. And we'll look back and be like, Oh, my God, I can't, I can't believe there was a time we were investing in these projects, we had zero transparency on what was happening. Now we have these tools, and everyone has access to them. And, and that democratizes everything in the way that we think I think it should be right. And, uh, and, and then it's sort of, what you guys are doing continues to be out there for the specialty and the knowledge that you guys have, but it allows anyone else to kind of go out and say, Hey, I've got these collection of assets that I've vetted through these tools and you should invest in those things, which I think is great for the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's talk ETH merge. Um, let's do it. We are 11 hours <laughs> away. It's interesting. If you just do a search for ETH merge on Google, they literally give you a countdown clock. So this is such an anticipated event <laughs> wow. that Google made. Do a search, uh, producer Nick, uh, for some ETH merge, and it's pretty funny. They they literally made a countdown clock on Google. You know, Google will you know make a widget for things that are important. Mm -hmm. You know, like a movie like or that, something. Eleven hours and forty three minutes. But that's because it's so awesome, right, Vinny? Everything about it is perfect, and ninety nine percent less electricity usage, and it's going to make it so much more efficient, and all the transactions are going to settle immediately. And Nirvana will arrive. Sounds so like Solana. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, talking the book here. Okay, we got a book talk. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, but but I mean, to be fair, you know, they're moving to proof of stake, which is what Solana is. And um, look, there's a 99% chance everything's going to go fine. I had a conversation last night with another VC in the space, crypto VC, and we're discussing like what are the issues here. And I said, look. It's highly probable that this, I mean, I'd say almost a certainty that's going to go through smoothly. However, if there are any bugs, issues, uh, attack vectors that may exist on Ethereum or a layer two that's using Ethereum or something else, it's unlikely it would have been disclosed 
prior to the merge. Just because the test nets are available, everything's fine. Any malicious actor or hacker is not going to tell you, hey, I figure out how to steal money out of this thing after the merge. They're going to wait for it to happen, then steal the money. Okay. And so that's the issue here. Now, it's probably not going to happen. But if it does, it's an, I, mean, it, I think we should at least assume it's a non zero percentage chance. It, it can't be zero. They, they, you know, you the, agree, the Sunny? Non zero chance? Yeah, always a non zero chance, right? We can't. Okay, so it's always yet. a non zero chance. So then yeah. I'll just challenge you both to give us what do you think the chance is? 1%, 2%? I think for, like well below 1%. Okay. I, I think I think somewhere between one in two fifty to one in a thousand. Um, but it's it's oh, not one zero. to ten percent chance, you're saying. Wow. No, no, okay. two fifty to one. So like a you know, point four percent. Oh, I see. Two hundred and fifty yeah. to one, that's yeah, something yeah, yeah, happened. Yeah. So yeah, well I'd under one percent. Yeah. So you're both yeah. well under one percent. Got it. Yeah. Under one percent. It's 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 been technically reviewed, it's really good, etc. Uh that that's not the issue. And I don't think Ethereum itself, I think that the chance of something wrong with the Ethereum chain is probably less than one in a thousand, okay? The issue is with the collateral damage around all the other systems that rely on, on the Ethereum, the main chain, right? So there could be some, again, the surface area is very, very, very wide and broad. So, so what you're saying is be, there could be another project yes. that interfaces mm -hmm. with Ethereum yes. that, hey, the code could just break. Yes. And we don't know. And Someone but you would coded a variable or something and everything's, you know, and, 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 and they didn't see it coming because the, att the attacker didn't reveal it with the testing, right? Because right. they're not going to. Because why would they? Why, yeah. Well, walk us through, though, the benefits and why it's worth it. Give us the, like, the, the merge 101 for people who are new to this, you know, proof of work from proof of work to well, proof of stake transition. I mean, the, most important, the most important thing is, first of all, it reduces Ethereum inflation because now you're rewarding stakers as opposed to miners. Um, and it, it reduces the amount of energy consumed by the Ethereum network. So it makes it very green, like Solana. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's a lot better for the environment. So I think that that from from just those two points, uh, and you know, I think there, there are other things that will speed it up and make it cheaper, et cetera, over time. But th just those two are just good enough for me right now. This is a very important move, and it's about time. It's taken a lot longer than people thought. Um, so I think that you know, between between look, this is the thing. If people are listening to this, if you're going to try and invest money in crypto, just buy Ethereum, Bitcoin, Solana, and you're probably going to be okay. Like, you don't have to go chase after coin number 300 down the road. Yes, you could make 50 to 1, 100 to 1 on that. But the risks are really high. You're probably going to lose your money because you, you just can't pick. Just pick the winners. Like, just play on some of the winners. Um, I know people, like, you know, people always ask me, like, what do you think about Cardano and Polkadot and all these other things? Like, I look, the safest bet today is Bitcoin. The second safest bet is Ethereum. Um, and my opinion, the third safest bet is Solana. Not so, investment advice, but explicit investment up. advice. Uh, we got to no, no, start no, no, at the no, top. Not, you, you, no, you I mean, I, what's safe? Turns that, out that, these are safe. turns out these maybe aren't securities, so it's like fine. <laughs> no, 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 but well, it, it, yeah. it's, it's not even about that. It's about like the fact <laughs> okay. that if you just look at the volume, Solana does more transactions than every other blockchain in the world right now. Mm -hmm. As I mean, a layer one, yeah, but ninety percent of them could be garbage. For Vinny, yeah. you know that. Oh, too, really? Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, because because their transaction costs are so low or infinitesimal that there's yeah. just a lot of you know garbage transactions on the chain. So I think could be that's more a, noise a, on the on the wire. Could yeah. be more noise. Does the, but Molly, does this not, not the electricity? I mean, there's probably some percentage there. But Sunny, go entirely. ahead. I think you were going to answer yeah. the "what's good about it" question. Yeah. Look, look ultimately, I, I think this Vinny touched on it. It lowers the energy consumption, which is very important. It's been a big criticism, Huge. and I think it's limited 
limited the amount of institutional investment that could happen because a lot, and I don't know if you guys deal with it in your fundraising, but a lot of institutions start asking that type of question around investing, right? Are we investing in something that's like, you know, bad for the environment? Ultimately, I think that, you know, there's a five-step process that they're going to undergo to get sort of uh, transaction speeds up and, and things like that. And this is like sort of the first step. And we talked about it a little bit last time, right? This doesn't necessarily right away lower gas fees or anything like that, but it it puts things on a path to increase transaction speeds and ultimately, you know, lower gas fees, but not, not in this particular event. But it's like sort of the first major step of, I think, a five-step process that the Ethereum network will go will undergo in the next couple of years. Well, and and just then I think we're going to get to like 100,000 transactions a second or something like that. Which then this Vinny is, will say Solana can do today. Right? Yeah, so. uh, th this is a um, a chart. I'm not sure how old it is, but it was just showing, and I think it's relatively directionally correct. The amount of energy consumed by one Ethereum track uh, transaction, producer Nick, you pull it up, versus a hundred thousand Visa transactions. So it it is known that if you want to have a distributed network doing work, it's not as efficient as the one. That Visa has been grinding on for whatever, three, four, five decades and whatever, two, three paradigm shifts probably from mainframes yeah. to mini computers to, you know, client server to cloud computing. But uh, if they're if they're even using cloud computing for it now, but and my I try Lord. to contextualize these numbers like a single Ethereum transaction is currently 200 uses 205 kilowatt hours, which is equivalent to the power consumption of an average U.S. household over six days, seven days. What? Wow. That is I, that's obscene. I mean, the hello, welcome yeah. to my rant already in progress <laughs> for low these last few years, because this is, I mean, I, what I, I wonder is, is that as we I've make seen. this, as, as ETH makes this transition, does this start to become a problem for Bitcoin? Because like, it's indefensible. Like, I'm sorry, the energy usage is indefensible and continues to be so. And I have been saying this for years, but it's like, at some point, to your point about institutional investors, if you've got Solana and you've got Ethereum and you've got proof of stake projects that are using a lot less electricity, can you justify as an institutional investor with presumably some kind of a net zero goal having any Bitcoin holding? I, I will take the other side of that argument. Yeah, let's um, go. I think that that if anything, Bitcoin is going to be one of the things that accelerates the the, the move to renewable energies. Um, so the one of the thing, one of the things to keep in mind is the the more expensive it gets to mine Bitcoin, and the, the more you can't use marginal energy uh, consumption, you can't use like electricity at home, you can't use gas. So those miners have to move to places where renewable energies are being used and are cheap. So next to nuclear plants, etc. And if the price of Bitcoin grows high enough, it actually accelerates us as a species to renewable energies because it cannot consume. The, the 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 traditional sort of fossil fuels it has to rely on clean energy like nuclear and that if the demand for nuclear grows substantially because of the amount of miners that need to mine bitcoin geothermal included you're actually going to see an increase in supply because it takes years to put these plants up so the thesis on a, on a 10 year 20 year trajectory is that bitcoin can accelerate us to renewables by by forcing the by, by the market actually saying we're gonna, we don't trust government fiat. We don't trust printing of money the way it's happening right now. We do trust Bitcoin. Bitcoin security, you know, so the demand for Bitcoin goes up. It increases the amount of security required for the network. And then those miners cannot go and burn the fuels that you're using in your home. So, you know, it, mean, it's a virtuous cycle at that point. I know, I have I know been it hearing seems this like argument. a stretch. No, I, I mean, it I've seems been, like a stretch. But yeah. 
Well, it's a 10-year argument. Like, I've been hearing this but, argument. But, but, but power plants are five-year, seven-year oh. arguments. Like, we, this is the problem we have in energy. Exactly. The and wouldn't you rather world. have a power plant? Like, I would much rather have a nuclear power plant come online to power Europe but than to power you, more mining. You, but how do you get it's past It's not going to be additive. But yeah. this, is the, the, this is the problem. You, you, you know, the, the, so, this is where capitalism beats politics okay in a political world we'll go back and forth arguing all day long about nuclear and green and blah 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 and when you have this like huge uh, uh you know thousands of bitcoin miners all saying hey we'll move to a country if you put up a nuclear power station and the country goes hey dang let's do it we'll put up a nuclear power station today move your mining equipment here all of a sudden mm. you have real fair market global competition for cheap electricity and you're going to see more nuclear power plants, uh, you know, spread up around the place. I just wonder to, if to that's Bitcoin. true. Like, I wonder if. Oh, absolutely, I, absolutely. If you if you said if South Africa said today, okay, and I live in San Diego, but if if if, if I went back to South Africa and became president, and I said, okay, we're going to go and put up three nuclear power stations across the country and make it a tax-free zone for, for Bitcoin miners to set up data centers, mining equipment, and we're going to give you the cheapest energy in the world. They line up. They would line up, and that Got would it. basically bring. So then, my power question is: Is that but actually it would take ten years to build that plant? And right it, now, it, it you have Kentucky matter. and Montana saying, "Just come here because we have coal." Well, it, it doesn't so they're going to go coal, where the energy gonna, is. No, coal is going to be priced out. This is the point. All the marginal, all the marginal energy, all the uh, non-renewable energy, it will be priced out for powering Bitcoin mining within two years, probably three. So we already have this problem. I mean, guys, people can't afford to run their, their, their kettles in England. How are they going to afford to do Bitcoin mining? It's not going to happen. I wonder if you there, is, a, if there is an energy power. disruption, Molly. I wonder if crypto becomes uh, one of the victims. Because if, like, this is really interesting. If Europe has this really cold winter and people are running mining. Or Texas, right? You already had a situation yeah. in Texas where they basically were like, hey guys, you need to turn these rigs off, right? But you need to shut down mining to preserve Oh, did gigawatts. they tell them to do that? Yeah. yeah. So, but, but the, are there the any rigs in those regions now? Are there, are there rigs in Europe? Do you think? Well, there are rigs in Europe. So a lot of the, a lot of European miners, I mean, for example, Iceland is a huge mining, op there's a huge mining operation in Iceland because of geothermal, geothermal. electricity. So mm -hmm. what, what I'm saying isn't, guys, what I'm saying is that if you think, take zoom out, okay, take a zoom out view of the world. If you have a Bitcoin miner, you know, next to a coal plant and the price of it goes up 5x, you jump on a plane, you take the miner with you, you go sit down in, in something like Iceland and you use geothermal or you go next to a nuclear power station where it's cheap. Bitcoin mining operations will move to where the cheapest electricity is because they don't have a choice. They cannot operate at high electricity costs. So the, the, I think it's. A I think both of you guys are right. In the long term, I think Vinny, you could be right that this will create demand, and in the short term, Molly, I think you're right that people might burn stuff that's bad because somebody might be like, like, "I got a bunch of coal sitting here, and I'm willing right. to burn it below market yeah. in some crazy country that which doesn't is care indefensible." About the I actually, think I, like, I mean, yes. I, I actually think like with with right, technology, you have, you have like no, you have like Moore's law, right? Which is yeah. and versions of that, and you know, I, I shared something in the chat if Nick can pull it up of like. The, the typical energy usage of different types of transactions here. So you yeah. see like a Google search down to this light bulbs and charging your iPhone. Right. And so look, why don't you read that uh, for the audience? Just so people get an idea. Uh, yeah. So like a Google search is like a thousand joules, right? Um, a uh, charging your iPhone is you know, 45,000 joules, right? And, you know, watching an hour of television is 540,000 joules. 
And so, um, look. And a single Solana transaction is 1,800 joules. Yeah, it was, so it was not there. And, and, and an ETH, two transactions, 126,000 yeah. joules. And look, look my, right. I think all of this will just keep improving, right? And so, I think technology will just find a way to trend towards, you know, the, the top of this the thing. And we, we need, we've seen that happen. And, and I, that's why I think calling it out is important, like you are, Molly. But I think saying, hey, technology doesn't work around this. I think that's that's impossible. And then you well, got to look also, at all these other things here. So I think yeah, it's I mean, important. I guess that's what I mean fundamentally when I say, is it a problem for Bitcoin, right? Is, yeah. It does it mean well, that, that but, what happens is the financial incentives are actually go towards Solana. Go read toward the chart e. from the bottom up. Probably, yeah. Because that's yeah. where it gets really interesting. This uh, is exactly what way, I'm talking about. One, one hour of air conditioning is 12 yeah. million joules. Okay. One hour. 20 million. Yeah. Or so 12 is, million. Yeah. Yeah. He's 12 million joules. So, okay. Running <laughs> yeah. your air conditioner 10 hours a day is 120 <laughs> million joules. Okay. That's where your energy consumption is, folks. Watching an hour of TV or playing your video game, 540,000 joules or 700,000. So, of one hour of air conditioning versus one hour of TV is 14x. So, just, just keep that comparison in your head. PlayStation, playing, watching TV, 500,000 joules. Hour of air conditioning, 12,500 joules. Okay, just keep it in your mind. Yep. Now we go up to an Ethereum transaction. One of the current ETH pre-merge in 11 hours, 692 million. <laughs> in other words, it would be the equivalent of air conditioning your home for 70 hours or so, 60, 70 hours for one Ethereum. But that's not all, folks. One Bitcoin transaction is 7 billion joules, which would but, be the equivalent. But remember, remember, there's a cap, right? There's a cap on how many transactions per day Bitcoin can run. I, I know, so but that, that, this that's is the, that's bonkers. I never realized the scale of this. That's the issue. <laughs> it is unbelievable. But the flip side, now you see me freaking out look, every day. No, no, but no, but the flip side, Jake Howes, <laughs> look how much they cut Ethereum down from six hundred ninety-two thousand right, to exactly. hundred thousand. That's a that, huge deal. And, and one more turn of that, and look at what Solana is already doing to Vinny's point, right? And so, yes, everything kind of, you know, I think Moore's things will trend in this exists in software. Like I made Vinny totally heated, but what I really meant was people should invest in Solana and not Bitcoin. <laughs> For exactly <laughs> this reason, I have more. I have more Solana than Bitcoin. I mean, the, the, the thing about Bitcoin. Look, but Bitcoin, I think, is and Chamath, our, our friend Chamath, says this. You know, he said this years ago, and I, I always stuck with me. He's like, Bitcoin is insurance for schmucks. That's a, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, it's like, look, you got to own some of it in case everything goes to one percent, sure, one percent chance, whatever. You got to own some of it, but it, it's not the biggest part of my crypto portfolio because I just don't, I don't think that. I think there's a good chance that it doesn't actually become the most useful tool out there. I'm but a free market guy. I'm a free market guy. However, when something is this out of whack, I just want to bring it up. Would the Western world be wise to look at the cost per transaction of these and step in and say, listen, Bitcoin, other services, you need to get your transaction costs lower by this date or else this penalty i.e a tax i.e whatever will come into play or do you think the free market just makes everybody sell their bitcoin at some point and move free free, free market I, this is the free thing market, jason yeah. like the, the more the more intervention we do in these markets the more we're not going to push innovation and figure things out like bitcoin's the, still the, number one by by far and law you know and, why? and, and why i why? mean you've been watching the news this no, summer because it was right? first like you but, saw the, is, the is dried the up reason? war and the like I'm just saying at some point you pick your crisis and if your crisis is like existential and a third of Pakistan is so, underwater, so, 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 so you, you go yes, like, we're going to yeah, ban this. And I'm not 
a proponent of it, uh, but I do think we're going to get to that conversation. Okay, so Vinny, so you're so free market. Sooner. Okay, so uh, let's, let's, let's take another argument. I'll go to you. If, if I said to you World's today, all the energy in the world is free, okay. do you, would you care? Of course not. Yeah, if we had uh, if we had right. a thousand nuclear tactical small plants up and running, obviously yeah, the largest discussion. the largest nuclear reactor in the in, in 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 our solar system is the sun, right? We have solar sure. energy. So okay, so if we had free energy, this wouldn't be a problem. So no. th then let's start. So that's the first principles question. Okay, the next question would be: So then, why is energy not free? And why is this a problem? And then the, the question is because we are reluctant to move from oil, gas, and non-renewables. Why? Because special corruption. interests, special corruption, interest. paying off governments. Sure. So if you go down to from first principle working up, you realize that we're living in this like world that's being created by the people before us and being maintained by the people in power. We're and making the money. You're making okay. the money. Sunny, let me oppression. bring you in here. Energy Sunny. is free from the sun. It is. And we just need to figure out how to harness it or use things like nuclear. Okay. Sonny, yep. why? I think this is it. The first question I want you to answer is if it is true that the free market will work this out, why is Bitcoin still number one? Let's start with that. Vinny touched on it a little bit. It, it's sort of been around the longest and the most secure. So there's just okay. like sort of a, a, it's never been hacked. It's been around the longest. People feel comfortable with it. There's the notion that there's only 21 million possible Bitcoins, right? So there's okay. sort of an end game to everything that's happening there. And it's not a it's not a network that even though the transaction uh, energy is pretty crazy, like we saw, there's not a lot of transactions happening there. It's not like a it's not a visa network that's, you know, okay, processing hundreds of thousands a second. So I think that that's why you kind of that's will remain okay. to see Here's it Here's my second question for you. Yep. Then now that we've got that established, it's because it's been around the longest, the most secure. We get it. Yeah. Why hasn't Bitcoin, and maybe it's going to move to three-point question here, but I appreciate you answering the question so concisely. Number two, why has Bitcoin not taken transaction costs as seriously as Ethereum and Solana? You mean the energy? Um, well, sorry, I, the I energy think, per transaction. It, why it, haven't they saw uh, Ethereum obviously was motivated to solve it. Maybe they felt yeah. like Solana was clipping on the earth. I don't know the reason, but why is Bitcoin... Ooh not addressing this well i think Vinny can probably tell you more because you've been involved deeply in this for a long time but i think the community that it's taken to cause this uh merge to happen which you know we saw that energy efficiency it takes a lot of people and there's just not as many people in in the bitcoin ecosystem now that are willing to undertake that to, to make it happen laziness right? or lack of resources is that correct Vinny? i think well, everybody's no, making it's, money. It's, no, it's it's not that. What, 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 the issue with Bitcoin really is that there are no changes that are being permitted to the network. Yeah. So, so here's an example. Mm -hmm. we, I, and I fell out with the Bitcoin community in 2017. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm look. I'm I'm still. I'm not as. I was a Bitcoin maximalist in 2017. And now I'm done. I, I'm happy to look at other things like Solana and more energy efficient things. I think there's Bitcoin has a place. I just don't think it's like I'm super. I'm as passionate about it as I was in 2017 for one simple reason. You could drop the cost per transaction on Bitcoin, 10x by increasing the block size 10x, for example, from one megabyte to 10 megabyte, okay? You could do it, but there is no will within the community to make any changes mm -hmm. to the, the base layer of Bitcoin. Yep. So you can't fit 10 times more transactions. I mean, in fact, look at Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV. They've scaled it 100x, 1,000x. So it's not actually a, uh, it's not a technical issue. It's a philosophical issue. We Got don't it. want Bitcoin to change the architecture can handle, but Bitcoin so they don't design, care about the uh, the environmental footprint. They care more about their own interests. I got it. Yes. So then, what I'll ask you, Sonny, is I know that you are a holder of Bitcoin, uh, or have been. Have does this make you change 
because they're unwilling to change, because we know energy use is acute and is a very focused issue, does this make you change your position on being long Bitcoin? Why are you holding Bitcoin instead of moving to Solana and Ethereum, where we see one, I don't know, is it one one thousandth now of the energy or, or, or more? Yep. It, it, what, are, why are you holding Bitcoin if this exists as a concept and, and Bitcoin is your largest crypto holding? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I would break it down in a slightly different way, Jake. Like when I look at like sort of my world of investing, uh, and I still haven't gone through this myself. I think in order to do that fairly, you have to look at everything you invest in, right? Uh, whether it's even public equities and what energy impact sure. they have, right? And okay. what and so I'm not doing that there. So why should I just look at that one asset and do it? And so I think if I'm going to get to that moment, and this has kind of been a challenge. I was trying to pull this up. Like I know Molly was a bit up in arms on the energy consumption there, but I'm sure if we look at other things in our daily lives, like uh, on an aggregate basis, it's a lot more than even what Bitcoin is doing. Those charts, you know, you, they, make, they make it kind of really pop out. And so I think if you're going to do that, you have to look at it like really holistically, right? And say, so you let me just look haven't at everything done, You haven't done the hard work yeah. to look yourself in the mirror and say, geez, do I need to change my yeah. portfolio allocation here? It seems to me the logical thing to do here, Molly, and I'll bring you in now. The logical thing to do here is if you think energy is an important issue for the world, and is this charged, so to speak, would be to make a trade based on that. It does seem to me if we're here on this tip of the spear podcast, breaking this down so acutely, and so deftly, that somebody in politics somewhere is going to get this message. And, and then maybe consumers yeah. are going to start to say, why would I own Bitcoin instead of owning these ones that are more energy efficient? Go I mean, fundamentally, although I obviously have a strong opinion about this, that is my question. When I say, is this going to become a problem for Bitcoin? I'm talking mm -hmm. about this PR question. I'm talking about exactly this, which is at some point, people, policymakers, investors, financial institutions with net zero goals will start to make this calculation. And it'll be it'll be a huge part, I think, of the crypto ecosystem. Look, I think that, that the Bitcoin sort of maximalist and the bitcoin mindset has has a point uh, yeah like when i you know i went from being a hundred percent bitcoin to maybe 20 percent bitcoin in terms of like my passion and views that 20 percent is my schmuck insurance that i like if, if put it this way if you believe that the leaders of the world are a highly organized competent you know orchestral bunch of people who can fix up all our problems you should own zero bitcoin but if you think they're a bunch of incompetent fools that are going to basically trip over their own laces in the next couple of years, you should probably own more, more Bitcoin than, 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 than you have right now today. And that's where the camp I'm in is I think that they're going to screw up. I think that then as a unit of account, people start saying, well, can we trust the pound, the euro, the dot? Let's just trust Bitcoin or maybe it's Solana or Ethereum or some crypto. And then the world starts transacting in a different cryptocurrency or a different uh, unit of account. Right now, we use the dollar. But if if Putin manages to get people off, uh, it, like the more we fragment the market in terms of away from the dollar into other currencies, the more these cryptocurrencies become a unifying layer for the world. All right, Molly. Uh, you and I were talking about DAOs. We're obviously uh, going into our public raise. Uh, starting, I think I'm doing my first webinar tomorrow for Launch Fund 4. Uh, and we're doing 506 C public raise. Other people are now looking at DAOs and funds. Um, and one that has, and we've talked about it myself. I've talked to Sonny and I've talked to Vinny about this possibility. The orange DAO. This is fascinating to me. This is the most yep. fascinating story of the week to me. 
this is if if we start a DAO, it's going to be because of this story right here. So, <laughs> well, this was your idea, Jason. You had this it idea was. for anyone else. Like yeah. I give Jason credit for the first person to publicly put this idea out there. All right. So the idea is the the Orange DAO, the YC Alumni Crypto Collective, backing Web three startups, which just three weeks ago raised eighty million dollars. We should note, thanks to Sunny, that uh, before we get into it, YC does not have any official. Uh, affiliation with Orange Dow on Crunchbase. It's described as a decentralized venture capital organization. Most of the money from its raise came from strategic investors uh, and layer one blockchains, Algorand and Near. The fundraising was also backed by an undisclosed number of Dow members and a few institutional investors. The GP actually is Ben Ha of Icon Has Cheeseburger, who explained that the Dow itself is structured as a Cayman Islands foundation company and the fund is run as a separate legal entity by Ha and a few other general partners. We've kind of been kicking around generally this idea about whether crypto is going to upend venture capital. And it sort of seems like this is that. Is that fair? <laughs> or could be that the start of that? Let's just talk about capital formation, because I think a lot of people who are watching this may not understand the breadth of like how, you know, how capital forms. So if you have a venture capital fund, do you have uh, limited partners? They all put a minimum commitment in, say, 100000 250000 bucks. If you get 40 of them together, you have 10 million, so on and so forth. So you scale it up. And as you need capital, you draw down from that fund and you do capital calls and people put money into, uh, you know, into the, into the, the GP, the general partners. Uh, you know, effectively they have a place that they, you know, they, they, they hold the investments in for the benefit of the LPs. So here's the issue. When you, with the moment you go long tail and long tail is lots of smaller investors. It's a lot more work to get five, 10, 15, $20,000 from a thousand people than to get, you know, 40 or 50 people to give you 250,000 to a million dollar checks. And so there's, this, there's a cost of managing all that. There's a reporting compliance cost. Uh, and then there's also like, you know, uh, whatever someone does a capital commitment for 10 K and then they don't pay up. And then, you know, you, you have, it's less likely that you have big LPs reneging on deals than when you have a lot of smaller LPs trying to get money out of them. And, you know, it's, 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 it's just, it's, it's extra work. So you probably have to collect the money up front. And then you have to look at like, what's the fund size? What's the return profile? And the problem you could then have is if you do, if you did a billion dollar fund with five, 10 K investments, the economics just don't work. It's too many people, the returns, are, I mean, you put five grand in, you get six grand back. No one's going to care that much about it. Doesn't scale. So this is, so you got to find the right sweet spot. And what is that sweet spot? What, what YC has done here with a thousand, you know, effectively founders or alumni. It's probably the right sweet spot. You probably want to have a 50 to $100 million fund with no more than a 1,000 people running small checks and probably collecting all the money up front so you don't have to deal with the, the capital call structures that you have to do with in regular VC. And so I think they've actually done a pretty good job on this so far, but they've done it outside US jurisdiction. They've gone mm -hmm. to a foreign country. I think it's somebody Cayman's, Bahamas, wherever, and they've gone and created this because the US doesn't facilitate this in, in the same way, especially in the crypto world and regulation. So- this is this is a bit of regulatory arbitrage, but I think they've solved for the capital formation part. That's well, Sunny, in your notes, you also pointed out that they're skirting not only those U.S. regulations, but the way that a DAO is supposed to be formed, right? With this two legal entity structure. Yeah. So there, and like you guys probably know a lot more than I do, but there's a DAO, and then there's like a venture fund, and they're two actually separate entities. And so they, the venture fund, which has limited uh, limits around how many people can be involved in it, they've worked around that. By creating a DAO as a separate entity, I think in the Caymans or something like that, right? So mm -hmm. they have like a thousand people in there, but less LPs inside the fund. And 
what I was actually going to ask you guys, because I feel like you guys have spent more time thinking about it. I was just putting together what I researched from it. Like, would this, what, does this framework actually work for what you guys are thinking about? I'll kind of flip it back around to you guys. You know, okay. So they're, they're, they formed a traditional venture capital fund. They did it properly. They're not breaking any laws. Yep. I, it has nothing to do with crypto. That's all fiat money. Yep. They're not investing ETH into a company or they're not getting ETH from somebody's wallet and then, you know, voting to invest into something. Okay. So let's put that aside for a second. They did everything right. It's just a standard venture fund like anybody else. Now, what it, so what is the purpose of the DAO? You took some really good notes, Sonny, and you're thinking about it. And I think they're taking the DAO and saying the DAO is going to be for due diligence, deal sourcing, and post-deal help. So in a venture fund, you might have some associates, you might have some researchers, you could have some principals. They're out there. They're pounding scouts. the pavement. They might have venture partner scouts, of course, trying to find you. Hey, you should check this company out. So if you aggregated all the YC folks, and you said, hey, go to this discord and then talk about the companies, and then the venture fund partners look at what they're saying and then just cherry pick, it's kind of like just creating a giant scout program calling it a DAO. So to me, it's a, it's a scout program looking like a DAO, but you have to remember there is also going to be tax treatment and issues around the DAO. And that's where I think there's going to be some legal details here. Those 1300 people are going to have to be pre vetted. They're going to, if you, I don't know how you distribute. So let's say you have 20% profits, a carry. Let's say this 80 million, I'm going to just say it uh, goes 3x, like a standard venture fund. It goes 3x. 3, uh, 80 times 3, 240 minus the original 80, 160 in profits, 20 million of 160, roughly $30 million in carry. So let's say there's 30 million in carry, that's 1,000 people. Okay, everybody gets $30,000 or this person gets more for having done this, they voted, you know, how does that even get distributed? When it does get distributed, what is the tax treatment of it? Is this long term capital gains is qualified small business? Is it income because they did work? So are they getting paid an hourly rate? If these people are doing work, then you might be forced to pay them, they could sue you post because you were using their labor. It, it's, it's very, very, um, even with this, as clean as you could make it structure. There are a lot of checkboxes and issues that I think they're going to have to work on around tax treatment, and how these distributions happen. I also think the scout program, obviously super valid. I was the first to quite scout scout programs are now everywhere. So that part's valid. Consensus building is not how angel investing works. That's not how great investing works. It's not about consensus. It's about people really doing diligence and spending hours and hours, not the wisdom of crowds. So I wonder if having a 1000 people is as good as it might be better to, to have just had 100 or 50 even to do this work and to just pay them cash. It's funny. We'll see. Yeah, when you read the details, it sort of sounds vaguely similar. Like if you squint, it looks a little bit like our firm and a syndicate doing a public fundraise, mm -hmm. just with 16 other layers of complexity attached that don't seem totally necessary. <laughs> and I don't 100% see the obvious benefit of the 16 layers of complexity. Yeah, it, it's sort of, uh, you know, that's the thing that was confusing is that, you know, you get, a th I think you get a lot of deal flow from it because you have the thousand members and they're all uh, YC alums, but then you have to deal with the overhead associated with that and say, you know, it, it, and is that trade off worth it? I, I think that's difficult. Sounds like you might get too much inbound. Yeah. Um, if this is gonna be $80 million fund writing 100K checks and then doing 500K follow-ons to the winners, whatever it is, they do 100K checks into 400 companies for 40 million. 
that's a that's a what we have four forty. 400, yeah. 400, I mean, that's a lot of diligence. And then they said that these 1300 people are going to do diligence. It's not actually how diligence works. So I'm not sure how they're defining diligence. Diligence is boring and arduous operational work. Can I see this contract? Can I see this IP assignment? Can I go check with the registrar that you are, in fact, a Delaware corporation? You know, do you have any lawsuits? I mean, it's something that yeah. administrative operational people with administrative and operational excellence need to do. And it takes 10 hours. Mm -hmm. takes 20 hours. Diligence is actually just a very like, very simplified view of it is it's just fact checking, right? Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Correct. You, you, you have a set of facts. I mean, you guys know I do Shark Tank in South Africa. Yeah. I'm one of, the, one of the sharks on the show. Yeah. When we go, when we go, you didn't know that, Molly? No, oh. that is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when we, when we do Shark Tank, we go there, we hit like 60, 70 different pitches in 10 days uh, and we create a season, right? When I'm up there, what you see is 15-minute clip of what happened. It's actually an hour and a half session. And I have a notepad. I'm writing down all my notes. And the guy says my revenue is $5 million or whatever it is and blah, blah, blah. After the show, we do diligence. And all I have is a bunch of people in South Africa in my, my VC fund there going and doing fact-checking. They go, hey, you said your revenue was this. And, you know, half the deals don't go through because on the show, the guy said something was, you know, a bit of a stretch, you know, in some cases an outright lie. Uh, we have this contract, we have this patent. Oh, it's a patent pending. Oh, you know, th those sort of things. So all diligence is, is fact checking. And the, the, and the only time I do, I mean, I don't do diligence a lot in early stage because there's just no diligence. The guys, like three guys in the room that started. So there's no diligence to do. It's like, yes, and that, yeah. But the moment the company moves further along, for me, it's always about the people. So if it's founders I've worked with previously that I trust, I don't need to fact check. Sonny, did I do any diligence on your company when we just did this no, round? No, serial founder, yeah. you don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to. You know these guys know what they're doing. So the diligence yeah. process is like, if, you, if the way to do this, by the way, if, if you want to scale this up, is you start a fund where you only invest in second or third time founders that have got a track record. And you say, look, we don't have time for diligence. So if Sonny comes, if any comes, or someone we know comes, we'll write the check because now we can just skip the diligence because we, we there's a trust. But when there's no trust in a low trust environment, fact checking and diligence is important. I don't know who they bring onto the show in Shark Tank. I have no idea. I've got a fact check. It wasn't a referral from Jason or Sonny or, or you or whatever. And, mm. that, and that's how Silicon Valley built itself, right? Silicon Valley create this trusted network of founders and entrepreneurs. And you could trust people if you know they had an exit or they're taking money before or whatever. And through word of mouth and network, you just write checks and did angel. You cannot do that anymore. You don't like the, the, the geographic limitations of, of Silicon Valley have been destroyed. It's now any people anywhere around the world. The guy can say, Hey, I'm in San Francisco. And meanwhile, he's sitting in, you know, Russia and you wire the money and it's gone. And you just you didn't know because it's, it's all virtual. Whereas so, you can meet, you know, like it's just, it's very different. So are you saying that you think this decentralized diligence process could work fine? That this kind of fact checking, you could just outsource it to these 1300 members and like, you know, but the yeah, companies I mean, will send the PL. I mean, we're asking for like bank statements, PL, credit card statements, right? Like it's more of a compliance risk, right? If you if you're purporting to be a, a financial advisor or a fund manager and you're making investments and you don't do diligence on someone and yeah. you mess up, there's some liability and risk that you have to take into consideration. It doesn't matter as much with me as an individual. If I go lose twenty five, fifty, a hundred thousand bucks because I didn't check on the you know, fact check on someone, that's on me. But when you're doing, when you're managing money for other people, there's a higher bar, and that and that's really the issue, right? So if you said, look, it's a trusted network, YC founders, 
you probably still have to do some diligence checking at that point, but it may be lighter weight, right? You just need mm. to do the basics. And, and, and so anyway, that's just my, my two cents on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish them luck. I think uh, Ben's great. I like the innovation in it. Uh, you know, we have tried, um, and our syndicate is kind of close proxy to a DAO, and Angelus is kind of syndicates writ large, I think are like the precursors to DAOs. What I don't see in any of these DAOs is um, an understanding of what the syndicate members want. And it turns out what the syndicate members want most is for us to do a bunch of diligence for them. They don't want to do the diligence. They want us to source the deals. They don't want to source deals. And they want us to manage the investment post uh, the investment to make sure the founders are on track. We're getting updates and they have every chance of success. And that if there is an opportunity to invest more in the winners, i.e. pro rata, we're there. So the, what I think this orange Dow will learn quickly is that m- maybe what investors want is not what uh, they think over time. Because uh, I have tried, I thought, I got 11,000 people, Molly, in the syndicate. They're going to be incredible. We'll have them source the deals. And then it turned mm-hmm. out our team was better at sourcing deals. Right. Or they'll, they'll help was, us with diligence, right? They'll well, be a resource there's, there's for us another, to lean on and like, eh. There's another problem in, in, in the VC investing world with Jason. You probably know all too well. The best deals are the ones that there's no syndication space for because Correct. there's just no, no allocation. So you basically And how do you get an allocation? It's by being yeah. a famous investor, by being a value-added exactly. investor. And you have a, I, so you have a selection bias, right? So yes. the deals that you're going to get in from people sending it to you are going to be the ones that like nobody wants to back them. Oh, you know, we didn't talk about that. Uh, that yeah. They'll get a net. They could. This is the thing they're going to have to watch out for is the negative signal that the non-full-time people are going to be getting the remnants of what deals haven't closed. So this is not meant to make anybody feel bad, but let's say they're the top, the aces in the deck at Y Combinator, those get funded by the YC partners and friends of them before demo day. Absolutely. They never make it to demo day. The top 10, 20 companies opt out of doing demo day and they raise their funding. So that means all that's left in the deck, let's say are kings or queens unless. I would argue all the aces and kings are gone from the deck. Yes. Those eight cards are out. Now you're dealing with the other 44 cards. Uh, yeah, which, which, by the way, significantly changes the return profile. Because you look at of course, YC, if you, <laughs> Dropbox, and Airbnb, and all those, if, if those were taken Coinbase, out of the portfolio, yeah. it doesn't look that good anymore, right? Right. So if you're, if you're at Demo Day, I think you're playing queens and below. Doesn't mean you yeah. can't hit a set of queens. You could. You could. So then, what is the DAO going to get? I think the people going to the Demo Day, you know, uh are probably going to be on equal footing with the DAO. Maybe these people are going to the alumni demo day. And that's the thing. The other thing people don't realize. This is a hack of the demo day. Before, I think it's the week before or just a couple of days before they do the alumni demo day. Then they do the regular demo day. If if Orange DAO is sending 1,300 alumni to the <laughs> demo day or even 10% of 130 and they're scouting them, they could front run the dentists and, you know, seed funds coming to demo day. So. Anyway, no, no, no uh, conflict, no interest. Um, this is super conflicted. And I think YC has always been a, a you know, and, and the entire game in Silicon Valley is a conflict game. You know, if you're part of the PayPal mafia, if you're part of the Airbnb mafia, you will get first shot at those companies if you're part of the Stanford mafia. So this is a way I think to get early access. These alumni, these 1300, now that I think of it could be on Bookface, which is the internal network for YC. They're on Bookface. They're seeing all the companies 12 weeks before demo day 
oh, I just figured it out. It took me 15 yeah, minutes. So th there's nothing like decentralized and uh, highfalutin uh, and philosophical about this at all. <laughs> it's just to get an edge. Uh, oh, in that case, maybe I want to be an LP. Now we love maybe it. I should yeah, be an now LP. we're like yeah. genius. Well, no, think about it. On book, I believe somebody from YC can correct me if I'm wrong, but the current crop of class is put on book face you know, early in the class, not after they graduate. So if they're on book face and they're talking, these 1300 alumni are getting access to them week zero through week 12 and the public's getting access week 13. They're front running the market. This is a hack to front run the market and pay those folks off with carry. Brilliant. Love it. I really want to see yeah. a, a SPAC meet Dow concept because I feel like there's a way to use a SPAC. <laughs> no, to no, 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 no. Not an actual Dow. Not an actual Dow, but stay with me here. Molly, that tells me I one think... thing. It means it tells me you have not spent enough money on lawyers in your life. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I have been blessed in that way. That is a hundred percent true. But no, no, no. Like, what if you could bundle like there are all these businesses. We you know we keep saying that this is random, I know, but stick with me. That like the worst meeting that we take is with the $40 million business as a VC, because a $40 million is a great business, but it's not investable. And I know all these people who are like, I just want to build a small business, a sustainable small business that's great for my community and the world and me and whatever, and I make a good living, but like, it's not investable in VC. And also I can't get a loan because whatever. Like, what if there was a universe in which you could bundle really great businesses into a SPAC and mm -hmm. use this the public markets to allow them to have cap access to capital that they can't get It's like a Berkshire venture. Hathaway. Uh, or banks. Like a, a collection yeah. of companies. Yeah. It's not a bad totally. idea. Yeah. But use yeah. SPACs that way. Like evolve this mechanism cool. yeah. that could actually do really great things for companies that need capital without having to have like predatory or, debt or aren't venture investable. Or we could just make a test for people to become sophisticated investors and let them invest in private companies and get the monthly updates. You know, that, that's <laughs> in Europe, you're allowed to, I mean, all of this is about access to deal flow. And in Europe, I, there's a, I think there's a website called crowd cube there's a couple of them over there that have done very well they're like seed invest and republic here except anybody you don't need to be an accredited investor so imagine if angel list and the syndicate could let anybody invest that's how it is in in london and europe real companies use it and they they get early support from their local communities and they have had small businesses on those kind of websites Crowd so cube. imagine yeah. your yeah. imagine you had somebody who wanted to make i don't know a, a, an event center restaurant cafe community center and it was going to cost five million dollars to build you could actually launch it on one of these sites let the public pay into it and they would have equity in it so it could be a for-profit as opposed to a gofundme but let me let me let me comment <laughs> one one thing on your portfolio jason i, yeah. I I'm, I'm i'm interested in knowing why you're so bullish on disney um and, and oh yeah I, 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 let me preface that with saying i was i'm a huge disney fan but mm -hmm. after bob Iger left and chapek took over yeah i think that the company is going south because i don't think he knows what he's doing that's my personal okay take. great question 100%. here's what i believe bob chapek is the parks guy right um he needs to learn the other parts of the business of course it's going to be any transition is going to be bumpy that's bob Iger's transition there was a lot of questions about that he rose to the occasion and there is a chance chapek doesn't last bob Iger comes back who knows what's going to happen what i believe is that one service will have a billion subscribers. Uh, and I believe that one service will be Disney, Hulu, ESPN. They'll have 1 billion people. It'll be the largest subscription business ever created for anything. So Verizon has over 100 million. Netflix has whatever it is, 200 million collectively. Uh, the Disney assets have over 200 million with ESPN, Hulu, all that stuff. So my bet is they will hit a billion. 
what, no matter who's the CEO based on their IP collection, when they hit a billion, if the average is, let's say, six, seven dollars globally for this, let's just say six, you're talking about almost a hundred billion dollars in subscription fees. It's never existed in the world as a cash cow business. And so I believe there are two companies, three companies in the running for that Netflix, which I still think is a little overvalued and they're kind of lost, but I, I almost J traded them. I believe Warner Brothers uh, is the other with HBO. And then I believe Disney's the number one. So I think those are your top three in the category. And I wanted to bet on two of them. So I bet picked those two. And, and, and as a value buyer, I would be totally in your camp. I, I, I think it's a phenomenal company at a 65 like PE ratio right now. I think it's extremely overvalued. And I think they just I don't worry about the PE. I worry about the top line growth. Top line. I know, top line but growth, they, yeah. the, the problem is they're not competing. If you look as a customer who's been to Disney parks and Disney cruises and whatever else, they're, they're sold like, out. They, they, well, no, no, no. They're actually, no. no. <laughs> What's happening right now is like the, this COVID paranoia with Disney is okay. killing demand. You look at the, the, the all the other cruise liners, for example, today. Oh, I don't uh, know about cruises, but Disney well, parks have been sold out like since the reopening. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. They're not sold out. They, 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 they reduced the capacity. At okay. the parks because of co everything basically Disney's become this like COVID paranoia entity where whether whether it's the cruise liners or the parks or whatever else they're basically restricting the access to Disney services. They and did creating cabinets, really yeah. bad, really bad customer experiences. All my oh. experiences so far have been terrible because I think that they they've got a bunch of like woohoo's running around trying to like like if people, want, if people want to walk around unvaccinated that's their problem let them go in but like. You know, it's affecting the bottom line, and the other cruises are all being sold out. And Disney's cruises, which is the, basically the largest, one of the largest, they're basically restricting and saying vaccinated people only. And I'm vexed. I don't give it. I don't give a damn. But from a business perspective, you're finding that people are really, really complaining about the fact that Disney just because Disney's COVID, COVID's still an issue. Disney's also, you have to. Still I mean, COVID. in addition to all of that, Disney has raised its prices dramatically, right? Yes. Like, aren't they? Yeah. It's so prohibitively expensive yeah. that as a they're discretionary purchase yeah. for for fans, like. I'm, there they're, is they're, no they're universe in which they're, they're losing they're goodwill. goodwill. Exactly. They're, they're losing goodwill. And I don't know how much longer the company can handle. I mean, let me tell you one thing I've known about companies and in my life is between 18 and 24 months after a CEO departs is when the wheels start falling off if the new CEO is not up to, up to task. You, you, it never happens immediately. It takes a while. And yeah. so I would wait for the 24 mar month mark after, uh, Iger disappears <laughs> and to, 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 to figure out what's going on. Cause he's not even chairman anymore. I think he stepped down as chairman. So he's, yeah, he's, out, he's, he's out of he's Disney done. totally. Yeah. They, I mean, yeah. they had a big, huge public fight. Like either Chapek gets nuked and but, Iger comes back or Chapek is the guy and I'm with you. you I'm not you, sold on him at all. Iger. Iger, like the fact that I, I'm not saying I don't love Iger. I would much rather Iger the, be the, in the, the seat. The fact that he's fighting Absolutely. with Chapek means that he's seeing all the holes that we're seeing. So, so anyway, from the J trading portfolio, I wish you well. You don't like it. I think, okay. the, I think the timing is. Remember the not goal as good. of the J trading portfolio. Today. Can we just do five this X all in day? ten years? Five <laughs> Let's X get pizza. Five X cash on cash in ten years. That's the goal. I'll beat you. I'll beat you at five X because I will go and buy Disney at let's see. I'll buy it. I'll buy it at like seventy, and I'll and oh, I'll make it three fifty. I mean, you might get it at ninety. I, I can bring it back to our. But when it goes into ninety, I'm buying more, Vinny. I'm buying more. Sunny, Sunny, Sunny's bringing us back to fundamentals here. I think we can back to a topic. As soon as they get into like some form of crypto, like NFTs on those collections. Then you're shorting? The, no, that's the time it Boom. goes to the next level. <laughs> maybe, well, look at maybe. this. Look your at this. ticket yeah. should Full be. circle. Your Full ticket circle, should be an NFT. Yes, exactly. And the NFT should include your picture. Yeah. 
and yeah, you should yeah. be able to take your we, picture. We, we, we didn't, get to, it, we didn't get to it this time, guys. We should next time. I think we're going to time out here. But this proof of attendance, a uh, proof of attendance protocol tokens are really, what? really what phenomenal. That? So it's basically mm. like if you attend an event, could be like a concert, could be a conference, and you're given a token associated with that. And then other uh, activities which go on there could be advertising, things like that. You can tie back to that token. So the, the VCon is it open protocol really, that somebody wrote. No, no, no. It's just, it's just a notion of giving it's a concept. So, like, imagine, yeah, okay. It's a concept. So imagine you have a conference, you give everyone a token, right? Exactly. Yeah. Pull-ups. Oh. And so you give everyone a token that's there. That's a, a proof of attendance. Think of it like web three, four square or something like that. Right. And so once you're there and then if there's other you know, marketing activities or post loyalty things you want to do, you tie it to that. I think once Disney starts to kind of uncover this and tie it into not just proof of attendance, but proof of watching and things like that. And, you know, people are talking about uh, NFTs they've done for Marvel, but I think they haven't even scratched the surface. I think it's inc Poaps, incredible. P-O-A-P-S, yeah. proof Poaps. of attendance. That's a, but it's a collectible. It's, 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 yes. it's, like, it's like getting those little badges when you go to Disneyland, you get a little like small badges yeah. worth five no, bucks. No, I know, but they're digital, letters. collectible, yes. tradable. And like, I did see that somebody just sold for a half million dollars, a full ticket to michael jordan's first game they didn't go but they happened to have the two full tickets sitting in their dresser or somewhere and they found them and that was michael jordan's first game they made some maniac bought that for five hundred thousand billy um mm. i'm not sure who would have spent five hundred thousand dollars on that add billy. One, i, I want to add one last one last <laughs> thing uh, back on the disney <laughs> rant for a sec i just remembered why another reason why I'm oh, <laughs> over this over i'm the in summer, it for streaming don't <laughs> mess with my no i like you banging on my j trade <laughs> okay so over the summer sunny uh -huh. and i went to hawaii we happened uh, to stay at two hotels next to each crazy. other yeah, yeah. okay I, I stayed at the at Olani, which is the yeah. Disney Resort, for a week, and Sunny was next door yeah. at the Four Seasons. Yeah. And what happened was I got service in my room every two days, and they would just change the 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 yeah. the, the towels and stuff. That's yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. And we were paying an obscene amount and of money, and the Four Seasons got twice a day service. This is Vinny just trying to. Uh, I mean, look, I, I think again, it just comes back to there's. There's so much opportunity upside. I'm with I'm a J. Kel on, on this. I think there's so much. <laughs> You're making the J trade. I'm, I'm not I'm making not, it. Okay. So wait, wait, Vinny. Vinny is uh, I'm never going back. <laughs> fading. Vinny's fading the J trade, and Sunny's uh, following the J trade. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Let's all go. Let's go, you guys. If you guys want to, you gotta just start. We want. I want to do some J trading in crypto. So there's next week, I want three choices, and I'm going in. I'm going to buy something next week or two weeks from now. I want you to each, each of you give me your best pitch on your best two ideas, and I'm going to pick the best one of the four. Mm -hmm. Sound like a good right, deal? We'll, we'll bring it to the next one. Let's do it. Sounds will, you, great. will you each bring me two? But you can't yeah. compare notes. And no my goal is notes. 5X. So I want a real project. 5X in really 5 years. 5X in 10 years. 10 years. Oh, that's 5X easy. in 10 years. Crypto. You know, the market doubles every 10 crypto. years. <laughs> What's that? Crypto this won't be crypto. here in 10 years? 5X in like one year is what you're looking for. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> ten yeah, I don't want. Ten, I don't want. That's what I, I want. want. Something I want ten X in two months. I want I to beat the market. Device. I want this to be like a top tier venture fund, double the market. You know, twenty percent IRR is kind of what I'm thinking. You know, in my portfolio. And then I'm going to go stay at the Alani, and I'm going to be like, "Thanks for not changing my sheets every day. That's really environmentally first world responsible." Problem. Hashtag <laughs> first world. <laughs> uh, can you believe this? This is how he's making yeah. his trade. Here's how you make your trade: Obi Wan, <laughs> uh, Mandalorian uh she hulk little mermaid with a diverse cast making 
thousands of young women of color cry on their TikToks. They know what they're doing. They're I doing the margins, a little mermaid with a person of color. I don't disagree, Jason. I just, think, I just think that I just think that in the short stuck term, on the hotel. The Why are you no, staying the there? Stay at, be like Jake Allen. Go to the Amman Hotel. Come on, guys. Shoot the locks <laughs> off your wallet. Spend some of that All Bitcoin. Right. Go to the Amman Hotel. Go. Come on. We're yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, we're done. A great episode. Everybody, please. Let's get them some plugs, Molly, as we wrap this up. Yep. Amazing. Where can everybody find you? Sunny, you start. Definitive.io. We're doing a lot of interesting things. Blockchain intelligence, reach out, blockchain growth, Web3 growth. So, What is it? 50K a year? How much that cost? It is. Yeah, 50K okay, a year. 50K a year. Yeah. I need at least one person to sign up every time. That's that's the cost <laughs> of having Sunny yeah. here. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Vinny Lingham and obviously waitroom.com, waitroom.com, and uh, fun stuff coming there. Thanks, guys. This has been fantastic. All right, we'll see you next time. What you guys blast. can drop off. See you next time. <laughs>